The construction industry is undergoing a huge transformation. Designers and contractors are facing new challenges every day. We are all overloaded with rising material cost, a growing skilled labor gap, increasing project complexities, and countless digital solutions. This podcast focuses on innovation through process analysis, change management, and building a culture of continuous improvement. Together, we will learn from industry leaders on how to improve workflows, increase communication, and build the future. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. It's Tahira Ali coming to you from the Innovation Studio podcast. I'm joined here by Amanda Harbison and today's special guest, Stephen Duyon from 3M, who works with the MRO segment for 3M's electrical key accounts. Stephen, we are so excited to have you on and talk about your perspective on innovation and branding and how just how 3M continues to kind of stay at the top of their game. So we let's jump right into it. Let's start off by learning a little bit about you. Stephen, can you share some of your background with us? Yeah, sure. First, I uh, wanted to say thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited. It's my first podcast. Um, so a little bit about myself. I am a Cajun kid from Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, I started working for 3M in 2009. So going on 12 years, uh, I've worked for multiple divisions and different functions. And back in, I'd say 2011 or so, I took a role in Austin, which is where our electrical markets division is located. And I've been with this division actually uh, I was supporting them before, and now I actually work within the division for about five years. And currently, I live in Austin with uh, my wife, Brittany, and our four boys, and a golden doodle named Johnny Cash. I love that. Um, so what we love to do here on the podcast is kind of start things off to see your perspective on innovation. Um, and what does it mean to you? And it can range from anything we've noticed from everyone. So that's why we love to ask it. So Stephen, what does innovation mean to you? So in my head, innovation is really about taking creativity and turning it into practical application. Uh, innovation can you know, exist in a lot of different formats, but in my world, it's taking great ideas and making them useful for every home, every company, and every life. That's so great. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful to hear your perspective, Stephen, because when you talk about innovation, you're not just talking about innovation in your workplace. You're also talking about how innovation changes everything around you, which is, is so powerful. So let's, let's dig into it a little bit, right? You mentioned that you uh, work with customers and that you're, you're in the supporting role and you work for such a great well-known company. So what has that been like, especially this past year, it's been a hell of a year for really all of us with with COVID and just new practices on everything. So what does that look like for you and how have you adjusted? How have you applied innovation to the way that you've approached this past year? Yeah, so a lot's changed in the way that we do business. And when I say we, I mean the collective, not just 3M. Uh, COVID and travel lockdown has changed the way that we engage our customer base. Uh, I'd say that part of it is simply that companies are trying to limit their liability. They don't want people to get sick. Part of it's our personal responsibility. We shouldn't be out there at, you know, when it's, it's worst. Um, and the means in which we do business has just simply changed drastically. What I found and what we found as a company is that the ones who are willing to embrace the change, they can capitalize on the current environment. So that's an important one that you just hit, embrace change. 
from your experience, especially like you just said, everyone's had a topsy-turvy past year with COVID. Um, have you had any luck on either ways to get people to embrace change or, you know, looking at change management policies? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll say just on a on a personal level, one of the first changes is that we traveled so much before this. And now, you know, I was putting around 65,000 miles a year on my company car. And now I'm at 3000 since last March. So the change has affected us. I would say the most drastic difference is simply finding the people. So beforehand, there was a sense of press the flesh, get out to trade shows, understand what people needed by being in front of them. And now simply finding people has changed to the point where we have to leverage technology, whether we're comfortable with it or not, to find the people that we need to talk to to continue business. What does that look like, Stephen, when you talk about kind of that change of that approach? I'm interested not just in the, you know, like you said, which technologies you're using, but what was that journey to understand that you needed to change that approach? And how did you enact or try different types of approaches to figure out what worked? Yeah, I mean, to put it bluntly, there were several uh, wake-up calls to that effect. And one of the wake-up calls is that one of the industries, you know, that we're highly ingrained in, um, which is oil and gas, I just simply didn't have my contacts there anymore because there were layoffs. And so you have to figure out where people are, who's working, uh, who's open, and what their comfort level is with doing business with, I'll call it the outside world. It was several steps. I mean, I was always comfortable with technology, but I would say that a lot of my coworkers have increased their technical prowess by leaps and bounds during the last 12 months because it was a necessity to continue to make an impact. And I think that's important. You mentioned it earlier about branding and especially with branding and networking, you need to know people. Um, So talk to us a little bit about how people can get started. You know, is is there a toolkit? Is it is it markability? How do you get started? Yeah, I would say that there's a there's a slight difference between branding and the research. So the branding is how you portray yourself and how your company is portrayed in the marketplace in which you service. But the uh, the research is its own separate animal. So let's take branding first. You know, everyone has a has a personal brand and in my opinion, it's really important to understand that first impressions, online impressions, all of those things matter because people want to do business with reputable companies and they want to do business with people that have a network. Decision makers want people with a network to connect them and help them to further their business goals. That's such an important part. And we are in such a people-driven business. And so that's really, really poignant, right? That the network matters. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, our listeners encompass so many. We have uh, those in the field, we have those in the office, we have those who support uh, the electrical contracting industry. So talk to us a little bit about how this applies to, let's say, someone who's just getting started all the way to someone who is, you know, fancies themselves a a very well-known brand, such such as 3M. How do you take stock? How do you continue to Make sure that you are being innovative and that you are in kind of invigorating that process. Sure. And again, I'll circle back because I do really think that it's two different paths here. One is the branding and one is the research for business. On the branding, the company typically has that taken care of. But if they don't, it's important to take stock of what 
you know, your customers' perceptions are of you. And let's say that you're just starting out, you can get that accomplished with a simple survey. Uh, the individual employees may not need to have a sophisticated online brand, but it's important that they at least exist. Meaning that if people want to find out more about you to figure out if you're the type of people they'd like to do business with, that they at least have a baseline to go and understand kind of what you're about. So diving a little bit more into networking, because I know that one's huge, like especially for our NECA contractors, our in-person events are the time to network. And of course, COVID shut all that down. So in terms of online, can you take us through that? Either some platforms or, you know, the way to get started, or maybe it's a mindset they have to change as well. Sure. I would say that there's professional organizational sites where, you know, like trade show type organizations where you want to make sure that you have a presence. But really, when you're talking about business and, you know, professional to professional, I think LinkedIn is the place that everyone goes now. I would say that it's really not important to understand how to make the best profile or how to, you know, soup it up uh, to the, you know, extreme. I think it's way more important to understand uh, how comfortable you are with it. And if you're not comfortable to be willing to ask questions so you can go on to sites like YouTube and just simply ask it, how do I do something? So in preparation for this, for example, uh, I know I have a wedding upcoming and I simply haven't had to tie a tie in a year. So I wanted to figure out how to tie a specialty knot. I looked it up and I got 189,000 results in half of a second. So the idea here being that you're, you know, your members, the people that are out there and potentially listening, you don't have to be an expert at any of this. You just have to be willing to put yourself out there and say, I don't know how to do it. Can you help me? And it exists. That's such a great point. And especially, you know, the idea that uh, every, the tools that we use for our own personal lives, right, YouTube and Google and just the Internet in general are so powerful when you take them and apply them to learning new business practices and continuing to have that that growth mindset. So you mentioned, Stephen, that you you drastically changed kind of that rubber meets the road. Uh, you were putting 65,000 miles on your on your vehicle a year, and now you're down to, I think it was around 3,000. So when, when you changed so drastically, um, how do you kind of continue to make sure that you stay connected and have those those powerful conversations and those powerful uh, just interactions that can drive impact even when you're doing it at a distance. So first off, I think it's really important to understand your company's stance in terms of what you're interested in doing during this new time. So what I mean by that is it's really important to understand has your company, uh, you know, floated along during this relatively unharmed or are you, playing defense? Or are you playing offense? That stance really drives a lot of decision-making to try to re-engage the customers. But once you understand that stance, I would say that you need to probably take stock of your existing customer base, figure out who's out there, who's up to what, and that can be done in a variety of ways. I mean, email is obviously super powerful. At a big company like ours, we can do mass emails where we pull from, you know, Excel or access databases, and we can kind of do little feelers. But then on a, on a singular level at a mom and pop shop, you can do the same thing. And it's simply if you don't have access to these giant CRM tools or, you know, really fancy bell and whistle type applications, 
most companies you do business with have a website and they've got an email and you can touch base with them and just say, hey, we're thinking about you. We'd love to know if we can support you during this time. And, you know, we'd love to continue the relationship. Let us know how we can do better. And I, I think there's such an important aspect to what you just said there, because there's always the data behind the scenes too, right? Where in all of this, like you said, the mom and pop shops can do all of this. And you can also see if your efforts are making, you know, a difference. You can see if people are opening things. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the data and smart technology that you can use in some of these things? Sure. So I'm not sure if the question is towards larger or smaller companies or both, but both. Both. Sure. So larger companies have access to things like, you know, database management programs. They have things like CRMs where they put a, a nice front on what's effectively a digital Rolodex. Uh, they also have things like smart and traceable content. So smart links and things where you can send out mass email blasts and find out, you know, what content's landing, what content's not. You can take stock of, you know, what collateral you're putting out there, what's working. And ultimately, you're trying to establish fresh leads constantly for your sales reps to follow up on, where in the past, they might have followed up in person. Now, it's all in a digital format. And it's pushed out to, you know, the different folks around the country to follow up and make sure that we close that loop. Uh, On a mom and pop or a single store level, I mean, you can still be doing a lot of, you know, what we're doing just with different applications. Google itself offers a full suite, the G suite, that effectively allows you to get everything you would get in a corporate Fortune 100 Microsoft suite package. Um, And then in addition to that, you know, several of the other applications that are free for users, there's some really powerful stuff there. How do you make sure that when you are exploring these options, right? You mentioned how many search results you got for just tying a simple tie. And this podcast is called Innovation Overload, right? How do you separate the actual tactical strategies from the noise? Because it can be so overwhelming when you first go to type in, you know, data analytics or customer networking or building your brand. How do you, how do you, how do you digest it and go kind of that, that get to that next level? Sure. So I would say a best practice is probably similar to the way that we run reports. When we have analysts at our company uh, run reports for us, they say be as specific as possible. So maybe at first it is a little bit of research to understand what am I trying to find. But the more specific questions you can ask, the more specific information that you'll find and it will drown out a lot of the noise. So, for example, you might just be starting out and you may want to simply Google how to write a professional business email. Uh, But you may be far more developed than that and say, how do I create a marketed, uh, excuse me, a targeted marketing campaign within Facebook? The more specific you ask, the more specific you'll get. And the results are now crafted in such a way that they will eliminate most of the noise for you as long as you do a little bit of legwork up front. I think that's a really good point because, you know, I've grown up in a a day and age where technology has always been at my fingertips. But um, for instance, my dad literally was like, how do I search this? And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, literally put what's in your head in the search bar. And he couldn't fathom that because that's not how search used to work. It used to be very specific. Like you had to use quotation marks. You had to search in such a way because the AI was nowhere near what it's like today. Um, But thinking about that, like he 
used me to help him, you know, for people who are struggling out there, um, you know, what are some ways where they can help with the people aspect, like find people in their company to help them? Are there any other recommendations that you would have for them to kind of get that first starting point? Yeah, sure. And I want to say I'm halfway in that same age group as you. My age group started, uh, you know, analog and then moved into the digital world. So they say that my age group is, you know, very comfortable with it because we were there for the onset. But I fully understand that there's people, myself included, that consider ourselves old school versus people that don't understand and have very little patience for people that don't understand technology. So I've kind of seen that whole spectrum. Um, My parents definitely in that old school. And I would say their respective experiences might lend itself to this. So They've had IT people or just the computer guy on site. You know, some places aren't big enough to have an IT department. And there may be one person that's the IT guy, the sales guy, the stocking guy, you know, whatever it is. So at a smaller company, it may be as simple as asking, who knows this stuff? Who's our computer guy? And at a bigger company, it may be, do we have trainers? Do we have analytics? Do we have IT folks that can assist with this? And then just on a personal level, you know, something as simple as my parents' example, when they can't figure out how to put something in the search, I've showed them how to use the microphone function on their iPhone and on their Alexa and Google devices, and they just talk to it, and it'll give them what they want. You bring forth so many different ways that, uh, again, big companies and small companies can can look at these ideas, which I think is great because it's 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 such a testament to our industry. We have companies of all sizes and all specialty trades, and you deal with a lot of them. You do a lot of work with um, with with our, our our you know larger community. So, talk to us a little bit about some of the uh, opportunities that you've seen, um, where you've seen some growth, and you've seen some 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 really just kind of some awesome best practices emerging with our contractors today. Like, what are you seeing that's working? So one of the things that I've seen is actually we all focus in the medium voltage world on projects and COVID has paused over a billion dollars in projects. So there's been a lot of maintenance turnaround and MRO work, which is where I focus and MRO for anyone listening that's not familiar with that world is maintenance, repair and operation. So there's been a lot more focus on what do we need to do to get these massive industrial facilities through to the next phase whenever funding gets released again to start up construction. Uh, So if you're not looking in that maintenance space, it's probably an opportunity that most of us historically have overlooked that has really come back in a big way in the last 12 months. Well, to flip the switch on what to hear, just to ask, I'm going to actually flip it to lessons learned. Do you have any like really good examples where, you know, something happened that others can learn from? So I will say that more people are trying to do more with less. And when I say more people, I mean more companies are trying to do more today with less resources and time and funding available than ever before. It's just the reality we live in right now. And so uh, without giving away any company information, I can say that you know I had a, a massive national account that really wanted help with streamlining some of those MRO products, uh, minimizing the amount of folks they had to deal with and really making their life easier. And it's kind of hard to get into without giving away specifics. But the lesson that I learned was that people are looking for help in any way, shape or form right now 
And if you're willing to find them and offer them to help them as opposed to sell them, that comes through in a big way. That's a home run for folks right now because they're looking for that help. That brings up, um, you know, like you said, it's something kind of specific to your example, but it is also true for our contractors, right? They have the same needs to network, to stay connected, to uh, represent their brand, to help others, and, and to kind of make sure that they are part of this bigger community. So I think that you did a great job in kind of showing how you can address being that value add, being that you know, having that unique proposition, whether it's the MRO um, maintenance and repair side of things, or whether it's, again, just how do you meet people where they're at? And like you said, almost not hunt them down, but seek them out to make sure that you are being as supportive of a partner as you're able to. So, so let's, let's expand upon that. Let's expand upon this idea of how do you make sure that you are representing yourself the best way possible uh, in this new extra digital, you know, day and age, but also even just in the old fashioned ways, right? You have many years of experience just as a, as a, as someone who supports sales and who really helps to support just kind of those personal brands. So what have you learned from a personal standing, personal branding standpoint that is, is beneficial or could be of interest to our listeners? So from a personal branding, I mean, there's a ton of do's and there's, just as many don'ts. And one thing that I will say is in the don't category, uh, we all have our own personal opinions, but business platforms typically aren't the place for that. So whenever you have really pointed opinions, you're effectively minimizing half of your target audience in terms of people, you know, they, they're not looking for that noise online. They, they don't want that type of drama. What they do want is somebody that has a proven history So you want to have a good track record. And if you have great experience, then put it out there. And then in addition to that experience, um, it's really important to have people understand what your strengths are. So having a fully developed profile, having uh, a resume of sorts in terms of the larger jobs and the larger people that you've worked with, it goes a long way to telling that story when people are a little too nervous to reach out to you directly. In terms of 3M, because we've talked about, um, you know, how COVID has affected us at all and the digital aspect with brand and marketing and talking more on the customer side, but throwing it back to 3M, um, has 3M had to figure out new innovations or initiatives to handle all the change? Yeah, I'd say absolutely. I think that, um, you know, we've had entire teams that are basically investigating the environment in not in terms of the earth's environment but the environment that we're all doing business in now um, marketing and our you know team specialists have been trying to figure out since day one how do we support our key customers and our key contractors in the most complete but respectful way possible you know we want to be here for everybody but we understand that we we have to do it in the right way more than ever before I think we can all agree that it's a new uh, horizon out there, as it were, dealing with COVID. And it's okay to not get it right at the beginning. I think the only wrong answer is to do nothing in this time. So we have taken stock. We have talked with countless customers and contractors and tried to understand what their needs are. And I would say that that's probably applicable experience for a lot of people that are doing okay throughout this entire COVID time. You bring up so many great points, right? It's it's about not only looking externally, which you've you've taken us through a lot of um, 
those opportunities to evaluate your market and evaluate your customers, but also that internal piece. And I want to go back to a piece that you mentioned at kind of, you know, at the beginning of our conversation around how adjusting to new technologies, it comes naturally to some, it comes maybe a little more unnaturally to others. So what does it look like from a company culture standpoint when you start to make sure that you are applying new changes or uh, elevating the, you know, upskilling, upskilling your team in a way that applies to the greater, the greater culture of your company? What does that look like? And how do you make sure that people aren't left behind or, or that everyone kind of has this chance to, to pivot and grow with these new solutions, especially in such a, such a rapidly changing climate as we've gone through in the last year? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're dealing with entirely different mindsets when you deal with larger companies in terms of the the population of employees. You've got what a lot of people consider, quote unquote, old school. You've got new school. And then I really think moving forward that this hybrid mix is on our doorstep. Any company of any size, there's going to be employees that are change averse. But for companies that really strive for innovation and strive for inclusion, you know, inclusion is one of the biggest buzzwords at our company this year. And it's not just around uh, political and social issues. It's around bringing, you know, rising tide raises all ships. And so when we have the ability to train, when we have the ability to push out uh, processes and programs that some of our clientele who are, you know, potentially change averse can adopt, it makes us all better. That's amazing. And and as we come to an end of this amazing conversation, I mean, we covered on topics about your brand, how to market yourself, the research that goes behind it, the data that everyone can learn, and the fact and the ability for all of these topics to be scalable for large or small companies. Um, but before we close out, uh, we want to ask you, Stephen, what is your call to action or our last piece of advice you'd love to leave our listeners with? Yeah, so I would say it's probably uh, three pieces. One is understand what's available to you. Ask the questions and figure out what can I use? What do I have access to? And if I don't have it, can I have access to it? The second thing is ask for help. Like I said, the only answer during this time, in my opinion, is doing nothing. So asking for help yields the most results and people in productive companies, positive, you know, opportunistic growth companies, they love to help. So asking for help is the second key. And then number three is just something that goes back to my 20 years of sales. It's plan your work and work your plan. Research plus routine equals success. If you put in the legwork beforehand and you're honest with yourself of where you think the results are going to go, you're bound to fall into success one way or another. Oh my gosh, I think you just wrote like the book of personal development. So thank you so much, Stephen. This has been a really powerful conversation and just learning from your example of not just what the last year has looked like, but like you said, your your multiple years of sales and your multiple years of kind of being customer facing has been a really big joy for us. So thank you again for, for joining us here on the podcast and for all of our listeners please feel free to reach out to us at innovation at nikanet.org with any questions or any suggestions on future topics or things that you're excited about as we move forward. So we look forward to hearing from all of you on your view of innovation and the challenges ahead.